and welcome to the 31st episode of The Morning Rage. I'm your host, Jen Prentice. And I'm your co-host, Lauren O'Keefe. This is not your mom's morning show. It's a space where we pop off about all things culture, society, and politics in order to help you unpack your beliefs, feel more confident in sharing your voice, and today we kick off a series talking about something to make all of our mothers cringe, sex. Wow. Jen, isn't this where you start singing... Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about sex, baby. (laughs) Oh, it sure is. I think there's going to be a lot of singing happening during this series as we get intentionally uncomfortable Mm -hmm. on this subject. I mean, sometimes you got to get uncomfortable to get where you want to go. Take that however you want. Yes, I think that should be our first bumper sticker. I think it should go on a coffee mug so that we just like carry it around and people look at us and we're like, hey, it's my life motto. And maybe you've got to get uncomfortable (laughs) to get where you want to go. (laughs) Maybe they can can just know to stay away that morning. (laughs) Well, should we do a little disclaimer maybe for the folks listening as to what this series might entail and understandably alert you to the fact that this may not be for little ears? Whatever do you mean? (laughs) Yeah, I hate to bring this up, uh, but The Bachelorette, I promise we will not reference this. Maybe not again this episode. But I think that's why you and I have been thinking a lot about sex and sex positivity because they have discussed the Mm -hmm. term sex positivity, which we will define later in this episode, a lot on The Bachelorette this season. And we've been thinking a lot about the messages that we were sent or we were not sent around sex and sexuality and our bodies growing up. So the more that you and I have talked with our friends, both religious and non-religious, we've realized that this is actually an issue for a lot of women in particular our age. We didn't grow up talking about sex with our parents or people that we knew personally and could trust. So for me, as a result, like I turned to the media. You mean MTV? Mm-hmm. VH1 <laughs> behind the music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And what they were saying about sex and sexuality and female bodies. And honestly, in the late 90s, <laughs> that was not a sex positive message <laughs> for anyone, but especially not for women. It's so true. So over the next few weeks, we are going to talk about some of the cultural messages around sex and sexuality. We're going to cover what the church says or does not say about sex. And we are going to give some tips for having better sex. That's right, mom. We're going there. (laughs) What we do want people to know is that no, these episodes are not appropriate for small, maybe even large children. (laughs) We will not cover everything related to these topics. Honestly, we want to spark conversation and make ourselves and all of you think more critically about the messages that we have internalized around sex, around our bodies, around sexuality, and how that has influenced the way that we um, interact with our significant others, Mm -hmm. the way that we view our bodies, the way that we view sexuality and relationships in general. We will try to approach these topics from as neutral of a space as possible. However, neither Lauren nor I can ignore our upbringings and our faith-based lens on some of these issues. That is very true. We are who we are. We have our own fun issues with our own sexuality and our own body image. So I'm honestly really excited to unpack this. I'm also a little nervous. I was just going to (laughs) say... Yeah, I think excited is Mm. uh, an interesting word choice. You know, the the line between excited and nervous is a thin one. And I think it goes hand in hand with some of my sexual experience. (laughs) 
We are not drinking for this episode. However, we, we may need to. Can't make any promises for the next two eps. Okay, should we do some popping off? Let's do it. So I actually have a pretty big popping off for today, which I think does lend itself to laying the foundation for this series in how society, specifically here in America, views sex and plays a vital role in how we think and feel about sex. Uh, you have me intrigued. Go on. All right. We have seen time and time again the overt sexualization of young pop culture icons by the media and the American public. And the double standard set for young women versus young men when it comes to sex, virginity, and appearance. I mean, gosh, we have seen this happen with so many young actresses, um, singers, especially that were coming up in the 90s. Yes. The Olsen twins, Lindsay Lohan. We even had the documentary that came out last year, Kid 90, and that was Soleil Moon Fry, aka Punky Brewster. And she herself opened up about her own experience with being sexualized as a young woman, um, young child in a lot of ways. And it's a common problem that we've seen happen time and time again, but still the most heartbreaking representation of this has been what we've seen happen to Britney Spears. I can't even imagine what Britney went through as a like 15 year old. Mm -hmm. I think she started her career when she was a kid, but her career yeah. really took off when she was 15. What were you doing when you were 15, Lauren? Um, I was wearing braces. I was trying to get out of running the mile in PE class. I was trying to look good in my PE uniform, which I'd never mastered. <laughs> 15, so I was a junior in high school. I was really young for my age. I was a junior. Oh my goodness. In high school. Yeah. And I had gotten rid of my braces. Mm, congrats. Mm, yes. <laughs> but I was dealing with, you know, what do I do with this body that feels awkward and I don't love? And fortunately, no one was commenting mm. or posting video footage or pictures of me all over the television. Or telling you what to dress or how to act or who to be. The pressures that came with the popularity of Britney Spears at a very specific time, I just think she, more than anyone that had come before her or after her, became this heartbreaking case study for what happens when the world gets so invested in your innocence and also your sexiness. And that is what we saw happen with Britney. So, so yes, guys, that's right. We're going to do a bit of a deep dive into what has happened to Britney Spears over the years and the new details coming out following her testimony at the conservatorship hearing this past week. And I'm not going to lie. I may or may not have been in a deep free Britney hole this past week. <laughs> Easy to do. <laughs> Staying up late nights, reading articles, talking to friends about it, watching the stories unfold on Instagram. And let me tell you, we should have been taking this whole thing way more seriously than we have these past 13 years. At least I can say for myself that it all felt so distant from my life. And what would I know about whether Brittany needed some sort of guardianship, especially after how the media portrayed her breakdown so publicly as if they were like front page news. And listen, I'm not one for conspiracy theories, but once I started pulling this thread over the past week, 
let's just say it's been impossible not to start rethinking everything we ever thought was going on with Britney Spears since she rose to stardom when she was in her teens. Okay, now I'm very intrigued. Go on. Okay, I'll give you just a short rundown of how she got to where she is and how it relates to the way society uses sex as a weapon, especially against young women. So Britney started really her first moment in the spotlight at 10 years old. She was on Star Search and she sang. There is a clip um, that... They will show, like, I think they showed it in the New York Times documentary. The host, Ed McMahon, who was in his 60s at the time, says to her, you have the most adorable pretty eyes. Do you have a boyfriend? I saw that clip <laughs> on the Britney, Free Britney documentary. Yes. It was creepy. Yes. And she says, like, no, sir, they're mean. And is kind of joking about it. And he replies, I'm not mean. How about me? Also creepy. And this was just a, like publicly acceptable thing to do back then. And still today, it can happen very insidiously between an older man to someone that's a child, just like adorable little girl. And this is her first experience in the spotlight. Very different from any questions they asked any of the boy contestants on the show. So then we see her kind of rise back up in her teens. She's in high school. She signs a big record deal. We get her first music video and her first single, Hit Me Baby One More Time. And I mean, this video is incredibly iconic. This sets the stage for how we view Britney and what we expect of her moving forward and how she's cast basically for the rest of her life. And I think that it's very indicative of the different roles that we want Britney and that we wanted all women in the 90s and maybe even still today mm -hmm. to be. Yes. I think that is shown so blatantly here in this music video and in what happens after. She says that she really wanted to just show off being a normal like teenage girl at a high school wearing like a big sweatshirt and like this is her dealing with like boy drama and the hit me baby one more time thing. Meanwhile, her team establishes that she's going to wear her school uniform. It's going to be a little bit more promiscuous with her midriff showing. And we know this look. People have been doing this look for Halloween costumes for the past, you know, 30 years. <laughs> I was Britney Spears from the Hit Me Baby One More Time video mm -hmm. for Halloween my freshman year of college, maybe also my sophomore year of college. Yeah, like raise your hand if you've never actually done this look <laughs> because... It was a huge hit. And like you said, they've now established her as this symbol of being incredibly innocent and useful, but also sexy and promiscuous. And America totally solidifies her as such. And the ongoing pressure from there to be basically pure as the driven snow, like a virgin, doesn't drink or do drugs, the good girl, and yet idolize her as a sex symbol which we saw in her controversial Rolling Stones shoot that came out right after this, where she's shown in these childhood scenes in front of like a bunch of her dolls with a Teletubby on the front cover, like in a bra and underwear. It's like her as an innocent child, but dressed as like a grown woman. She was 17 at the time. Is that before or after she came out with the song, I'm not a girl, not yet a woman? I think it was before. Gosh, how? I think, that, I think that song really shows us what everybody was wanting her to be. How prophetic of Britney. Throughout her entire career, and even on Instagram, guys, she's incredibly prophetic. 
And, you know, and everyone held her to this. Like we saw interviews where they would hound her about being a virgin. Um, It was a huge deal for her to be the good girl, to not do anything wrong. She was dating Justin Timberlake at the time, like 1999 to 2002. And the whole thing was about her virginity. And we see this, like, not that we're going to keep bringing up the Bachelor franchise, but there's an obsession with this idea that she would be a virgin and that she would be very pure, very innocent. And yet what sold albums, what sold, you know, her videos was her dressing a certain way, dancing a certain way. And that's what everybody asked of her. And that's what her team, the people managing her, had her do. I can't imagine what it would have done to Britney to have grown up in the spotlight. She grew up in church too, I think. Yes, so, her family's incredibly religious. Uh-huh. She was getting all these messages from the church that she was probably very sweetly and purely, I don't say that word <laughs> lightly, internalizing about her sexuality and her body. And then her managers and her family yes. were telling her to do something completely opposite. Mm-hmm. And the media starts to create this narrative of like Britney as a temptress. Mm-hmm. And honestly, she was in many ways, I hate using this term, but I think it's true. She was slut shamed. Yes. After her breakup with Justin Timberlake. The media went after her mm-hmm. hard. They did. For allegedly cheating on Justin with his friend Wade Robson. And they never stopped tearing her down. No, it was continuous after that. They followed her around. This was obviously the rise of paparazzi. She was also very heavily compared to Jessica Simpson. She herself, you'll see in interviews, brings up Jessica Simpson a lot. And Jessica Simpson, raised by a religious family as well, you know, had a purity ring. It was like, that was her whole thing was the innocence. And we saw the same thing play with her, but people just were so obsessed with Britney Spears that she became the one that they were following for to see if she was going to do anything bad. And unfortunately for Britney, her family didn't protect her. Like I think in Jessica Simpson's case, for all the weirdness of Jessica's dad, Joe, yeah, like that's a whole situation. Mm-hmm. But I think they did try to protect her a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And no one was protecting Britney. And we no. still see this now. No one's protecting Britney so when the world is telling you that you're this bad girl and you've, I'm putting that in air quotes, guys, note for the audio, and you've done something wrong with your body, that absolutely plays into how you view yourself and your body and your sexuality. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is really not lost on me that Britney's first album did come out in 1999. That's the height of the purity culture movement, which we are going to talk about in next week's episode when we chat about sexuality and the church. But Lauren, real quick, because I think this is a good time to transition into our main topic this week, but real quick, just tell us a little bit about where the conservatorship stands right now. And then I know later in the episode, you're going to talk about some things that we can actually do to help Brittany. Yes, because like I said, this is actually way more serious than we've given credit to. I listened to her testimony at the hearings. This was her conservatorship hearing that happened about a week and a half ago. And it was about 20 minutes. Um, She was very lucid. She was clearly frazzled. There is a lot that's coming out about possible threats 
to her that morning or the day before by her family because this is the first time she's been allowed to speak publicly and openly for the last 13 years and they were terrified of what she was going to say. Her entire family, the lawyers on both sides, everyone, all of her doctors and people that are managing her health and her personhood, I mean, giving her medications, she's paying for all of this. Like she's not paying for just her lawyer that she cannot choose herself, but also the lawyer that is keeping her in this conservatorship as well. So it is just such a disaster. I mean, conservatorships in general, the biggest issue with them is that they take away your right to an attorney, which doesn't happen in any other scenario. Like if she would have like taken an ax and like murdered someone, she would still have the right to an attorney more than she does right now in a conservatorship. That's insane. I feel like, you know how we hear the term big pharma? Yeah. Where it's like (laughs) all the pharmaceutical companies have a vested interest in keeping, you know, people on medication and different stuff like that. Yeah. I feel like this is like big Britney and all these people have this vested interest in keeping her in this conservatorship because they're making so much money off of what they can do to her. Yes. In this conservatorship. Yes. Everyone is making so much money. They also know that if at this point she speaks, then they could possibly be seeing jail time for what they've done and the abuse that has gone on in this conservatorship. We hear about how she doesn't have reproductive rights. And that, I think, was a huge red flag to everyone to be like, okay, wait, what? Like, she doesn't have control over her own body and whether she can have a baby or not. That's on another level. We hear that she's been drugged multiple times. I mean, we see it on her Instagram, which is definitely not run by her. There's been some thoughts on how the Instagram is managed. Definitely not by her and definitely not videos of her now. These are like old videos when she was probably drugged, manic, and they were posting about them just to keep that image up that like she needs help and she needs this conservatorship, even though she has been working touring she had a vegas residency she's been making so much money and like actively a working member of her own person and of her family for years so there is a lot to be said about what's going on in the conservatorship there's also the judge that basically dismissed it this last week and denied you know, basically removing the conservatorship and removing her father from it. And everyone can't believe it. Like, basically, I the idea would be that the judge was paid off. There's just no other reason. My understanding of conservatorships in general, though, is that they're usually only for, like, very old people or people who are very sick, like, in the last years of their life. And I mean sick, like, with stage four cancer that has spread throughout their whole body and cannot make decisions for themselves. And it's very hard to get the conservatorship removed. Absolutely. That is the issue mm-hmm. is that once a conservatorship is in place, mm-hmm. it's incredibly difficult to get it removed. Yes. So that is completely correct. And what's come out is that they had paid a doctor to basically say that she had dementia. And that's how they got the conservatorship in place. Then you watch videos of her like performing on stage and you're like is this someone with dementia that like knows all the words to her songs and like choreographs the dances that she teaches all of her dancers like it doesn't make any sense and it's just so deeply rooted the lady that manages her business 
which she was terrified of. This woman was stalking Britney for years and then got infiltrated into the family through Jamie Lynn Spears. Her name is Lou Taylor, and she has basically done this with multiple young women. So she tried to get Lindsay Lohan in a conservatorship. She tried to do it with Amanda Bynes. She is like this little like puppet master that is involved in the family that was basically like, this is the way to take control over her. That's disgusting. Yeah, it is so deep and like treacherous, this whole thing. I do think it does deserve a lot of attention. And thankfully, Congress is even saying like, we want her to come and speak. They're asking for her to come and speak to them about conservatorship so they can understand it better, that they can understand her situation better. And we also have Cher, bless Cher, is like coming in hard against this. She got to know Britney when they were in Vegas because they both had shows at the time. And Cher is advocating really hard for Britney. So I think we're going to see a lot come out of it. And hopefully something comes that's positive. But everything that led up to it is not what the media portrayed it to be. And the abuses of the media in the Britney Spears situation is really sad. Unfortunately, I think it might be too late for the media narrative to change around Britney. But I think that having conversations around sex, sex positivity, sexuality, women's bodies, and some of the destructive narratives that have historically been out there Mm -hmm. around those topics, having those conversations can help future generations Mm -hmm. and future, whether it's future pop stars or just our nieces, our daughters, our, even our nephews. Like guys, this is not just something that is just for women Mm -hmm. because the messages that our culture is sending about sex and sexuality and our bodies are incredibly either helpful or hurtful for all people. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the reasons why we wanted to just start this conversation. Again, we are literally going to be skimming the surface mm-hmm. this month of talking about issues around sex and sexuality and sex positivity. But if no one starts the conversation, you can't continue it and you can't change it. Absolutely. Again, probably a good time to talk about sex, baby. (laughs) Let's talk about you and me. So Lauren, would you say that we are sex positive people? Hmm. You know, a couple months ago, I wouldn't have known how to answer you. But after the digging we've been doing, yes, Jen, I think we might be. Okay. Why is that? What is the definition of sex positivity? We do hear that term a lot on this season of The Bachelorette. (laughs) Uh, What is the definition of sex positivity, Lauren? Well, the clinical definition of sex positivity is an attitude toward human sexuality that regards all consensual sexual activities as fundamentally healthy and pleasurable, encouraging sexual pleasure and experimentation. The sex positive movement also advocates for comprehensive sex education and safe sex as a part of its campaign. So yes, I think we are advocates of those things. I will also admit that even just hearing that definition because of my upbringing, (laughs) makes me like, oh gosh, are we really going to talk about this? Did did she say the word pleasurable? Oh no. (laughs) What is wrong? Good heavens. Like you say consensual sex and I'm just like, "Ah, (laughs) I'm having consensual sex on a regular basis, guys. It's not a dirty word. (laughs) 
oh my gosh, earmuffs, everyone. Yeah, no, there's something about those words all strung together that can be slightly triggering for someone that didn't talk about sex very much growing up. It is the weirdest thing. It's crazy. But I would say for me personally, I do believe that sex and sexual experimentation is done best within the context of marriage. And that is due to my faith as a Christian. I also realize that not everyone shares my religious views about sex and honestly, that's okay too. Because part of being sex positive is having an open dialogue around sex, around our bodies, not placing shame on anyone for their beliefs or their personal boundaries. Um, So we do wanna make this sexy series. as relatable for everyone, regardless of religious views or sexual orientation as we possibly can, but also while still being true to who we are and what we believe. So, you know, it's going to be a piece of cake, right? Right. Yes, Yes. Mm -hmm. absolutely. Lauren, I'm going to start us off with a bang. (laughs) Pun only slightly intended (laughs) there. Did you know that only 30% of women can have an orgasm vaginally? (gasps) I don't know if I knew the percentage. No, Jen, I did not. Look, I'm all up in some sex research these days. (laughs) Honestly, I'm 37 years old, you guys. I had no idea until last week. (laughs) Fortunately, well, I don't want to say fortunately. There's like no right or wrong way to have an orgasm. Oh gosh, my mom, somewhere she's dying. (laughs) Her head is exploding. (laughs) Guys, we are adults. We can do this. We can do this. So if I wasn't one of that 30% of women who could have an orgasm vaginally, I would think that there was definitely something wrong with me. Because until last week, I didn't know that only 30% of women can do that. Yeah. And as a result of this series, this is embarrassing, but also I hope helpful to other people. I am learning a bit more, maybe a lot more about sex, about my own body, Look, for some of you, you might be thinking, this is so weird that she's never learned this stuff before, but I know that there are a lot of you out there that are like, Mm -hmm. oh, I know I'm not alone in this now. (laughs) Let's just say between sex ed class that we had growing up and watching movies with sex scenes in them where you're like, oh, is it always supposed to go like this? No, everyone, it is not. It does not always go like that. (laughs) See, here's the thing. You said sex ed classes. Mm. Because of my upbringing, I went to private Christian school. We didn't have sex ed classes. (gasps) Nothing? Nothing. No family planning? No, nothing. So I grew up in extremely conservative Christian spaces at the height of the purity culture movement Mm -hmm. when honestly the main message that I received about sex was don't think about it, don't talk about it, definitely don't have it before marriage, Don't put yourself in situations where you are talking about it or thinking about it, and definitely don't put yourself in situations where you can have it before marriage. So when I was growing up, sex came with like so many rules and so much shame. And as a teenager and even an early 20-something, I got married when I was 25, I felt like I was constantly playing a game of how far is too far. Well, because we didn't even have enough information to establish our own boundaries, to know what we were comfortable with what we believed was the right place for us to stop, all of these things. So you're either just like terrified of dancing because did you know you could get pregnant from dancing? I, I did. Yeah, okay, I did cool. know that. I just yes. wanted to make sure. <laughs> Guys, that's not true. It's just, not true. <laughs> so yeah, how, how else would you know what was right for you? Right, right, right. Right, right, right. Last week. I read a book called Sexless in the City by Kat Harris. I told you guys, I've been doing a lot of sex research lately. She is a single 35-year-old editorial photographer in New York City who is a Christian and she is waiting to have sex until marriage. And we're gonna talk a lot more about Kat's book 
in next week's episode. But one of the things she said about sex and the church really resonated with me, and that was reducing our salvation to a set of rules to be kept for a seat at the table diminishes the grace, vision, and power of the gospel. Oh my goodness. I mean, this can apply to so many things. So many things. But I think one of the things that we never talk about it applying to is definitely our own rules and then the church's rules around sex and how it interrupts our relationship with God. Yes. And I think that has been a big takeaway for me is that you guys... God designed sex and sexuality. Yes. And pleasure. Oh, I said it again. (laughs) The only function of the clitoris is pleasure. And you know who made that organ? I mean, again, we understand that not everyone believes in creation or God, but who I believe made that organ? God. Yes. And if you do believe in God and that he created everything, then you should know he created that. And then it should be like, oh, okay. So it's just part of our body that we talk about. Just like my thumb, which I don't talk about very often. Right. But I have it on my body, and it's not shameful to talk about. I love where you're headed with that. Okay, thanks. Excellent. So what about people who didn't grow up in the church? Do you think it was maybe easier for them, or they had more information? Like, did their families talk about sex more? Maybe that would have led to healthier viewpoints on their body? Like, do you think that would be the case? Obviously, I can't speak for everyone who didn't grow up in purity culture or the church, but anecdotally... In talking with my friends who are not religious, and again, you guys, this last week, I've talked about sex a lot too (laughs) with people, and I've talked with a couple friends really deeply who are not religious about their upbringing and the conversations they had Mm -hmm. around sex, and while there wasn't shame about having sex before marriage, which is great that they did not come with that baggage. Mm -hmm. I do think that there was still a huge lack of dialogue around sex and their bodies and how they work and how having a healthy view of themselves and their bodies can lead to a healthier view of sex and better sex in general. Mm. Okay. So how can we relate all of this back to Brittany? Because obviously it's just really top of mind that we need to free her. So let's circle back to that for a minute. Okay. Glad you asked. One of the things that Kat Harris points out in Sexless in the City is the damage that this like modest is hottest narrative has done to all women. Um, This is a narrative that came from a lot of cultural spaces in the 90s, not just the church. You know, you talked about how the media wanted Britney and Jessica Simpson and a lot of these 90s female young stars to be virginal mm-hmm. and modest, but also sexy yes. and using their bodies to sell. These messages weren't just coming from the church. And this modest is hottest narrative basically teaches girls that they need to dress modestly so as not to tempt men into doing something that they shouldn't, which places a lot of burden of responsibility for male purity Yes, on the shoulders of women. Not okay. No. Men are entirely capable of understanding mm-hmm. and controlling their own sexuality and sexual desires. The problem with the modest is hottest narrative is that, like we just said, at the same time, the world is asking these women to be modest, but also be sexy and hot and in shape. Basically, we're judged either way. Yes, because if you are not sexy and you're not talking about sex or dressing sexy, then you're a prude as a woman. And if you're modest and you're not showing things and you're trying to not cause a brother to stumble. Oh, that was very triggering. <laughs> Go on. If you're not doing that, then you're, you know, considered 
one of those words that I don't like to use anymore. And that is so damaging to the female image. And like, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to be? The idea that I was fully responsible for how men treated me, talked to me, touched me, looked at me. That is so much pressure to put on a like 14, 15 year old girl when she's going through adolescence. Chimamanda Gozi Adichie, who is an amazing African-American feminist author. She wrote a book called Americana. I mean, she's written a ton of books, but she wrote a book called Americana. She wrote a book called Why Everyone Should Be Feminist. Like such a great author. She says, we teach girls that they are guilty no matter what from birth. Wow. So that's kind of how it all relates to poor Brittany. She was a victim of a cultural narrative that I think might be best summed up by Usher, Lil John, and Ludacris when they said they want a lady in the street but a freak in the bed. <laughs> that could really just sum up this whole conversation, can't it? See, guys, it wasn't just the church. <laughs> it was a lack of conversation around sex and sexuality, and we can do better for Brittany, we can do better for ourselves, and we can do better for future generations. Oh, I love that. So much hope in that. So what are some ways we can do better? All right, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I came up with five action items that people can take this week, this month, as we talk about sex, baby. All right, one, think about maybe even write out your personal views of sex and sexuality. Two, analyze where those views came from, whether they are rooted in truth, whether they are rooted in like arbitrary rules or societal messages that may or may not be valid. Three, do some research. If you are a Christian, Sexless in the City is a great book for both single and married people. I'm also reading Matt Chandler's book, The Mingling of Souls. If you are not religious, Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. That's right. The title is Come <laughs> As You Are. But that's not a coincidence. Not a coincidence. <laughs> it's not a religious book in any way. It is very sex positive. We're actually going to spend a whole episode unpacking this book. Emily is a sex educator and sex therapist, and her book is a manual on learning about sex, learning about your body. It's so empowering to read. Tip number four. If you are in a relationship where you are sexually active, think about what's working and what's not. Emily's book, Come As You Are, has really shown me that no one needs to be having bad sex all the time. Mm -hmm. And five, talk with your partner about sex and their views of sex and sexuality and what's working for you and what's working for your partner. Oh, that's so great. So those are five things. Okay, we'll put those in the show notes. We'll also put in the show notes... Some ways we can do better for Brittany. And there'll be some links to some resources and different things if you guys want to learn more and get involved in what's going on. Okay. I mean, this whole conversation mm. has been a little sweaty. So oh <laughs> a little hot, if you will. See what I did oh, there? Oh, you mean maybe we could go into some hot stuff. Hot stuff. Guys, yesterday was 4th of July. And Allie Raisman, who is a former Olympic gold medalist, she is an activist now in the Me Too movement, like very body positive, sex positive, love Allie. Um, her dog went missing from fireworks last night. Aww. I know. So if you're in the Boston area, please look for Allie's pup, Milo. Oh, I hope she finds um Lauren, what did you and I do, <laughs> particularly you? You took the brunt of it for most of last night on 4th of July. Well, you know, as a puppy mom, I have two dogs. I have a little tiny Pomeranian who, despite being one of the loudest dogs I've ever met. She is. I love her, but she is. She does not like loud noises. <laughs> Brooklyn, we love you, girl. <laughs> 
So she was shaking real hard. And she's 11, you guys. Like, I was really nervous for her. So I had her like huddled up in the house with uh, my other large dog. I had music blaring. I mean, thankfully, I had a lot of free Britney content to keep me busy, but I was missing out on the fireworks outside. It's tough for those dogs. It is. And my dog is not scared of loud noises, but he was just like pacing back and forth in the house. Mm -hmm. And we've only had him for like three months and I felt bad for him. No, it's so <laughs> while my husband and my children and all of our other neighbors were out on the court, we live in California guys, fireworks are legal. <laughs> they were out on the court, just lighting it up. Oh, I know we were inside with our dog. <laughs> um, I would like to admit a personal failure in this week's hot stuff. Jen, I know this is really hard for you. So thank you for sharing. Um, through a series of unfortunate events that turned out to be great, I took my children to Universal Studios mm-hmm. on Friday after a canceled flight out of LAX. <laughs> yes. You know who else was at Universal that day, Lauren? I saw Jen. Ben Affleck, Jennifer Lopez, and three of their children. Oh my gosh. You were so close. I was so close. You didn't see them? No. Jen. I, honestly, you guys, no one's more mad about this than me. <laughs> no one. Like, I was there at the same time. (laughs) Do you ever just wake up in the middle of the night and you just get really sweaty thinking like, oh my gosh, what if I passed by a celebrity today and I didn't even notice? Yes, (laughs) I do. And you know what? I did. Lord, this is what I live for. Celebrity sightings. This is so so unfortunate. But you know, they're together and they're bouncing between what? Miami, um, LA. They're in the Hamptons. They're in the Hamptons. Look, that's a quick turnaround. I was at LAX. They definitely took a private plane because there's no way they were getting out of the main terminals of LAX that quickly. (laughs) I believe there'll be another chance for you, Jen. I know. One can hope. Okay. What else is going on? Well, last, I would like to give a shout out and a Hearty congratulations to Gwen Stefani and Blake Shelton, who got married in a small ceremony in oh. Oklahoma on July 3rd. There you go. If you told me uh, that Gwen Stefani would live in Oklahoma someday, I would have said, huh? <laughs> if you told me that Gwen Stefani is 51 years old, I would say, huh? I know. How does that happen? She may be one of the most underrated beauties of our time. She is absolutely beautiful, and I would never imagine she was 51. No. Mm-hmm. I honestly think she's maybe a little older than me, only because she has older kids than me. That's it. Yeah. Shout out and congrats to Gwen and Blake. Uh, Kate Middleton is self-quarantining for 10 days due to a COVID exposure. So, yeah. And there were a number of uh, celebrity injuries and one NHL hockey player died from fireworks. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh, you guys, be safe out there. I think that sums up this whole series. Be safe out there. Yeah, we're going to talk about the only fireworks that matter the next couple of weeks. Uh oh. Coming in to steal your spotlight, Jen, as the ultimate transitioner. (laughs) We're done here. Mike freaking drop. (laughs) Guys, we obviously (laughs) feel that life is too short to stay silent about everything, including sexy time. Yeah, we're going to be proving that to you the next couple weeks. So thanks for raging with us. 